This is 50 Feminist States, a road-tripping storytelling podcast visiting all 50 U.S. states to interview feminist activists and artists about their work for gender justice. I'm Amelia Fruby, and this week, we're in California. From the glaciers of Alaska to the dunes of Indiana, I want 50 feminist states. From the waves of New Hampshire to skies of Montana, I want 50 feminist Hi everyone, Amelia here. Welcome back to 50 Feminist States. This is season four, and I am so excited to kick it off with a very special episode that has a really wonderful story and that very much represents the amazingness and challenges of everything about this podcast, from the internet to finding guests to meeting them to traveling all over the place. So it's all a little bit there, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But for now, thanks so much for being back. We were off for a couple months after hitting the halfway milestone of this 50 state project. I can't believe that we've shared episodes from 25 states so far. And now this is 26. We're going to get all the way up to 28 this season. And I am so excited for the stories we're going to tell. So in season four, we'll be visiting California, Washington, and Oregon together. And I have to be honest, making plans for these states was a little challenging because it's the West Coast. It's a place where everybody knows there's a whole lot of feminist work happening. And I felt a little bit of pressure to include so, 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 so much and to try to capture everything. And after sitting with that pressure and stress for a little while, what I decided was that that desire to do it all and have it be done perfectly did not really align with the ethos of this project, which, of course, is to celebrate grassroots feminist work. So while there is so much amazing grassroots feminist work on the West Coast, I really decided to just let the stories that found their way to the podcast and that the podcast found to shine and to not try to capture everything happening. On that note, I actually want to step outside of season four for just one moment to say that just two-ish weeks after this episode comes out, I will actually be headed back on the road through the Southwest to do more interviews for season five. I'm going to be headed to Colorado, New Mexico, West Texas, Arizona, Nevada, and Utah. And if you have any folks that you think I should talk to there, I would love to hear about it. You can send me an email at amelia at 50feministstates.com. That's A-M-E-L-I-A at 50feministstates.com. You can also always DM me on Instagram at 50feministstates. That's F-I-F-T-Y feminist states. But I would really love to hear from you if you have suggestions of rad feminist activists and artists to talk to again in Colorado, New Mexico, West Texas, Arizona, Nevada, and Utah. Or if you yourself are a rad feminist activist or artist, I would love to talk to you too. So again, you can email me amelia at 50feministstates.com or go ahead on over to Instagram and follow and DM us at 50feministstates. So now that I've welcomed you back 
and told you a little bit about what's coming even after this season, I want to get to it. Today, we are in California, the Bay Area to be exact. And for this episode, I spoke to Beanie Pradhan, who is the owner of Beanie's Kitchen, which has, I believe, three locations in the Bay Area. I found out about Beanie's Restaurant in a kind of magical way and want to give a shout out to the way I did learn about it, which was through a woman named Lauren, who runs an agency called Tink Media. So Lauren connects authors with podcasters to try to have the voices of people with books out there on podcasts as well. And Beanie herself doesn't have a book, but she is in a book called We Are La Cocina, which celebrates the work of a really wonderful nonprofit restaurant incubator in the Mission District of San Francisco. So Lauren connected me with Beanie to kind of celebrate one of the people in the book, one of the recipes from this cookbook that La Cocina put out. And that is how I ended up eating momos in a beautiful restaurant in the Bay Area when I I was incredibly sick and under the weather talking to Beanie, who is a badass restaurant owner and such a bright, buoyant, beautiful woman. So for right now, I want to let Beanie introduce herself and then I'll hop back on and tell you a little bit more about La Cocina. I'm Beanie, owner and a chef of Beanie's Kitchen, the delicious Nepalese food in the Bay Area. And I started almost seven years ago from La Cocina. I'm, I'm a rebirth and uh, from La Cocina. And um, when I first came to United States, I didn't find any good Nepalese restaurant. Then eventually, uh, I worked with different hotels and all. And then, then I got married. And then that's how the life started taking a stroll. And I was abused for nine years, sexually, emotionally, and physically. Then I came out from there and I ran with my son, and I landed up with my sister. So that's how with her daycare friend, I found about La Cocina. So again, yes, La Cocina, I'm a rebirth from La Cocina. As you can tell there, as soon as you ask Beanie about Beanie's Kitchen, she immediately starts telling you about La Cocina. So as I mentioned in the opening, La Cocina is a restaurant incubator that was born out of San Francisco's Mission District in the 90s. And the goal of the incubator was to help the people in the neighborhood, primarily the women there, who were selling food on the street and out of their homes and at food carts, to actually transition these really informal food businesses into local restaurants and food service businesses. So what La Cocina does is seeks out kind of this informal marketplace and the people who are providing and selling food there and then gives them subsidized commercial kitchen space and hand-on technical restaurant industry training to help them grow their businesses so that those businesses can then generate further economic support for the communities that La Cocina exists in and the people in their program are from. So Beanie is one of the people who went through this program. And I want to take a moment before we get back to her story to just read you some some really, really beautiful words from the introduction to We Are La Cocina, the cookbook that they put out, in which I first read about Beanie. So the director of La Cocina, Caleb Zegas, wrote a few paragraphs in the introduction that I feel like I just have to read because I could not say any better why this business incubator is so important in supporting the work of women like Beanie and the other people who graduate from there and start these businesses. So here's what Caleb wrote. In the years that we've been working in these communities, it remains abundantly clear the ways in which the world we live in is deeply inequitable. If opportunity were distributed evenly and everyone was given equal access to the marketplace, the food world would look a lot more like La Cocina. The food industry has never been more celebrated. 
And yet this is a country where 75% of food businesses are owned by men and where women in kitchens make, on average, 73 cents to a man's dollar, even before accounting for race, because race too affects opportunity in our industry. According to the Aspen Institute, lack of access to capital and race-based discrepancies and wealth unduly disadvantage aspiring entrepreneurs of color as they pursue their culinary visions. As customers, we also bear responsibility. We're willing to pay top-tier prices for handmade Italian pastas without flinching, but chafe at a bowl of hand-pulled Chinese noodles that cost more than $10. This isn't a book about restaurants or even exclusively about food. Instead, it's about the people that make your food, who open restaurants, not merely a glimpse behind the kitchen door of a talented chef, but also a sustained and passionate argument for wider opportunity. These entrepreneurs and the quiet work that they do in hidden kitchens across the country represent the best of what our cities have to offer. San Francisco was built on the backs of native Ohlone farmers. Mexican tamale vendors, Italian fishermen, and Chinese noodle vendors, and every American place has a similar story. Our collective obligation in an inclusive world is to value all of these contributions honestly and equally. We are all citizens of places built by immigrants and the dispossessed, all of us carving small moments of ourselves into the shifting sidewalks, cul-de-sacs, and driveways of the neighborhoods in which we live. The entrepreneurs in this book popped up in homes and on street corners before pop-ups had brokers and websites. These are the entrepreneurs that sold carne asada and carnitas from taco trucks before we started calling them food trucks. In other words, these are the innovators that our cities so desperately rely upon. Our failure to elevate or to properly value these entrepreneurs threatens to strangle the very innovation and vibrancy our country and world requires. I think that Caleb's words are so powerful and so striking and really just speak to the ways in which food shapes our lives and shapes the world and shapes the economy and how the types of food that we value and and celebrate do impact our senses of cultures and people around the world and close to home. Let's hear more now from Beanie about what brought her to the United States and her relationship to cooking from Nepal to here. First of all, um, when I came to United States in 2002, I came for my sister. I, w- I used to do a lot of back and forth. I had, yeah, I had, like my sister had my nephew. I came for that. And then second time, I got a very good opportunity, mainly challenge and opportunity. It's like my, my parents are there and I do back and forth. Um, now, last year, I went with my son for the first time and it's like I want to show him my roots, you know, where I was, I was, where I was and what I did since, um, it's like cooking is in my blood because my mom used to be royal chef in sixties. Back then, the royal chef did not turn out right, you know. She's just a cook. Uh, today also I say I'm just a cook. It's like I'm a cook, of course. So it's like I have always learned that uh, that that cooking inheritance from my from my mom you know it's like that's how i would say it's in my blood and i went to the culinary school in bombay i did my 3 years of bachelorate in culinary and then it's like that's why it's it was easier for me to transfer from um like when i had to work in la cocina's um commercial kitchen it was easier for me because i have worked Otherwise, in general, also life in America straight from uh, third world country, you know, it's like, it's really a shock. 
Yeah, but for us, it was like, um, it was not a big deal because we had traveled. My dad uh, was an aeronautical engineer, first aeronautical engineer in Nepal. So we get a lot of privilege, you know, uh, to getting back and forth in Nepal, other countries. So that made a little bit easier for us to, it's like, go through um, when we first came in, like when I came here. So that was my, my nephew was my first um, I came for her um, uh, delivery. So that was my first step in U- U.S. Seoul. <laughs> After learning about what brought Beanie to the U.S. for the first time and then has brought her back and forth between the U.S. and Nepal since, I asked if she could share a little bit about why owning a restaurant has been so important to her and why growing it from one location to multiple locations, um, how and why that's happened so fast. Before we hear her take on that, I want to just add a little context and more information about the restaurant industry. So restaurants employ more women managers and more minority managers than any other industry in the United States. Women employees account for 52% of all restaurant workers and 71% of servers nationwide, but they account for only 19% of chef positions and only 33% of restaurant businesses are majority owned by women. So in this industry, we still see that discrepancy that while there are many women, people of color and immigrants working in restaurants, there are fewer of them who are chefs or owners. Beanie herself is both and Those statistics, however, also don't encompass the immigrant experience in the context of restaurants. So immigrants make up 37% of restaurant owners and 29% of U.S. businesses are owned by foreign-born women. So somewhere in the midst of all of these statistics is Beanie's success. She is a chef and owner of Beanie's Kitchen, which has three locations in the Bay Area, which has an incredibly competitive restaurant industry. So I asked if she could share what's motivated her to grow her business and how she thinks of what it does in her community. It's like, and it's kind of something you want to do more because I realize from this channel, one channel, I am helping so many people. Like, there are employees of mine, you know, some are from the shelter and some are from, um, people like, people, people are helping their families back home, you know, and, and then their mothers, fathers, their, their families, you know, it's all chain reaction. So it's very important. The more I can produce, the more I can help the community and more I can help those people whom I really wanted to along with my, along with my team, you know. At this point in the conversation, Beanie and I are sitting there and two very hungry looking tourists walk up to the door and she gets up and goes and opens it because as you'll hear her say, even though the restaurant is closed, it's important to her that they are able to come in and eat momos, which are the amazing Nepalese dumplings that you will soon hear her chastise me for not eating while we were talking. So we are closed, but we opened. (laughs) Yeah, because I think, yeah, that's what that's called the heart, you know. It takes 10 minutes, but it's gonna, people are, when people come, so they, it's a Nepalese, um, culture also. It's like when somebody comes in at the door, either you have to feed them or it's, it's like, you know, they don't, you don't send them. Okay. So we are closed, but we have like, okay, we'll offer momos, but it's gonna take 15 minutes. We'll steam for you. <laughs> and then we'll. <laughs> 
please you need to eat also i mean i i i just i just don't like you know when if my food is there i'm like why 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 eat <laughs> i think this brief moment of our interview really gets to the heart of beanie's heart and beanie's kitchen the restaurant is so welcoming and it really embraces you because beanie is so welcoming and embraces you and her food embraces you momos feel like one big embrace the way that the best dumplings from every culture do at least in my humble opinion. I think this also really speaks to something that you heard Brief mention of at the very beginning of the episode, which is many of the challenges that Beanie has faced between her arrival in the US and her opening of the restaurant. She so powerfully owns her story, shares the things that has happened to her, and centers her experience on the joy that she has now. So I don't want to dwell on that too much, but I will say that reading about the things that she has faced concerning domestic violence and abuse, facing the ravages of Hurricane Katrina, facing having to rebuild her life over from scratch more than once. I was just so struck by how much joy she still brings to every conversation. And even in the 20 minutes we got to spend together between her closing of the restaurant and going to get her son because the babysitter fell through, she was so present and so happy to be with me in this conversation. So knowing all of that, I asked if she could share some advice with other people who may have at any point stood in her shoes or with women or immigrants who may be dreaming of opening a restaurant of their own. Whatever you do, you have to do it from your heart. You will be succeeded no matter what. It's like I do everything from my heart, you know. I had done past years from my heart, even choosing, for example, choosing my employees. I have the best team in the Bay Area, you know. And I have chosen them from my heart. When my heart says it's wrong, it's just wrong. I can't. And um, when my heart says this is right, and this place is also, my heart said this is correct. La Cucina was really working on uh, finding a place for me. And Caleb Jika's executive director had been great with me, along with team, La Cucina team. And he showed me the place. And you see that heart connection. You say, oh, this is what right feels right. So exactly, place-wise, my employee-wise, food-wise. One best example I could give another is my son, you know. If my son can eat this food, anybody in the world can eat this food, you know. That comes from the heart too. You know, your kids are the most most valuable, you know. I don't know, I wouldn't say thing, most valuable uh, human being in the world. <laughs> and uh, he eats the same food, then, you know, everybody in the world can eat the same food and each bite, each food is made from the heart. Follow your passion, follow from your heart. And if you have, if you know that uh, you want to try, your heart says uh, to survive or to, to you know, to to look into the dreams. If you can um, follow through your heart, and people who have talents, please go to La Cocina. La Cocina is a place they will welcome you with, with their arms open and they will help you throughout. And, and you will be succeed, you know. You will be succeed. Just don't step back. Just go in and try. At least try. You never know when you get lucky, you know. These guys in La Cocina, they are my second family. And, um, yeah, it's, 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 you never know when you get lucky. Open your heart and follow your heart and just with your guts, just go in. 
I love how much emphasis Beanie put on following your heart. And I do think that to make it in the restaurant industry, you have to have a lot of heart behind what you're doing, that heart that's going to motivate you and keep you going when things get hard, as well as the community that's going to support you. So again, you heard Beanie talk about La Cocina. Of course, they'll be linked to in the show notes. So if you're interested in learning more about their programming or perhaps even applying yourself, you can find that information there. Because this has been a podcast all about a restaurant and all about food, I of course have to tell you that if you are interested in eating Momo's or any of Beanie's delicious food, uh, I will link to her website in the show notes as well. You can also find her restaurants at 1001 Howard Street, 2948 Folsom Street and McKesson Plaza at One Post Street in San Francisco if you happen to be that way. And then because I love all of you. I asked if she could share a few restaurant recommendations with us to wrap up the interview. So here are some places that Beanie loves to eat and wanted to share with all of us as well. I love my friends, um, friends in East Bay, Namboy, and then uh, Fernie, who makes Mini Bell. Uh, she makes fried chicken in East Bay. Um, I, I love these guys and all the entrepreneurs who are in La Cocina. Um, you know, they make, each of them has their own talent and each of them make amazingly delicious food, you know. Some, they are from all over the world, but they, they, they will, they will make you stand when you eat their food, you know. It's so delicious and they make from the heart. Thank you so much to Beanie for making time to meet with me for this interview, to La Casina for all of their amazing programming and beautiful cookbook that all of you listening can purchase and make some of the amazing recipes. There are so many amazing recipes in there, including a recipe for Momo's Nepalese dumplings that Beanie has shared. Next week, we'll have a new episode from Washington and then two episodes from Oregon to round out season four. I hope that you will stay tuned. And if you're listening, please go ahead and follow us on Instagram at 50 Feminist States. Trying to get up to a thousand Instagram followers this season. And if we do, there will be a little Instagram giveaway to celebrate. So go ahead over to Instagram and follow us at 50 Feminist States. That's F-I-F-T-Y Feminist States. Plus, I always share more behind the scenes takes on the road trips and more about each episode on Instagram as well. So you can find all of that there. Otherwise, until next week, I'll see you on the road. Cincuenta estados feministas Cincuenta estados feministas of 50 Feminist States. You can find show notes at 50feministstates.com slash podcast and follow us on Instagram at 50feministstates. Special thanks to Danielle Sines and Jessica Naria for our theme song. Until next time, wild ones, we'll see you on the road.